Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Friday, October 15th, live from my apartment and somewhere in Los Angeles, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. I am DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today on the program, we have Salem Colo Julen. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Mandate Showdown Friday, and here's why. I'll tell you why. You know why, because there's a showdown, showdown right now. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who earlier in the day I called Maury Lightfoot. First time I've ever made that slip. I was talking to our distinguished guest, uh, Salem, who I will introduce in a little while. And somehow I was so excited talking about the showdown mandate. Yeah. Between uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Johnny Canizera, the head of the Chicago Fraternal Order Police, that I, I combined Mayor and Lori and became out with Maury, prompting Salem to say, you talking about Maury Povich? Like, oh, I love it when my guests can make references to Maury Povich. The child is not yours, Mayor Lightfoot. Anyway, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is having a showdown with John Kenton Zero over whether Chicago police officers should be forced to, uh, to be vaccinated to go on the job. We'll be talking about this uh, in the show later on. Of course, this is uh, Oh What a Week, where I uh, break down the week's worth of news. Usually, the doctor, the young man uh, from Alton, Illinois, joins me. But uh, Dennis took the day off. You notice he's taking a lot of days off. He's getting a lot cocky as he moves on in the years, uh, taking days off, I say. Uh, he's a little like Johnny Carson back in the days, in the 80s and the 90s, early 90s. Johnny Carson said, you know what? I don't feel like working so much. Anyway, Dennis is actually, I believe, I think he said this yesterday, so I'm not uh, giving away too much of his personal details, uh, in San Diego with his uh, girlfriend, Samantha, and they're enjoying a couple days in San Diego. So the entire show has moved to California. How about that? Except for Salem. Salem Colo-Julin, culture editor from the Chicago Reader, has so kindly volunteered to step into those enormous shoes of Dr. D uh, and handle the news portion <laughs> of, oh, what a week. Actually, what we did, Salem, you know this, uh, we had a national contest to see who could step in for Dennis for this one day. Uh, thousands of people applied, and you were victorious. Congratulations. You were the winner. Uh, you, you were competing against people from Portugal and Maine. and I got to say, the, the arm wrestling portion was kind of, <laughs> that was the, the part that I was a little bit troubled by. But, you know, uh, the rest of it, yeah. But none of us really can replace Dr. D. Come on, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's going to really love uh, you saying that. Um, Sal Bacolo Julian is the culture editor. She's the one in charge. Well, tell, tell folks, before we get to the news of the day, what are you in charge of uh, at the Reader as culture editor? I mean, some days that's, I don't, I don't know. I ask myself that every day. Uh, 
Now, my uh, purview for the paper is the visual arts section uh, and coverage of our museums, our great gallery scene in Chicago. I also cover the literary arts, so writers, uh, books, all of the great small publishers we've got, and uh, storytelling and those kind of literary events. So that's basically it. And then I also uh, fill in on the city life stuff. So um, people send me stories about characters that they've seen and heard of in Chicago, and, and that's what we strive to print. All right, very good. We do some, we, I, I try to reach out to novelists more often. I'm a big, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, Salem, but uh, uh, usually in Chicago, more so than since I've been here in Los Angeles, uh, I'll be going back to Chicago this weekend. But anyway, more so in Chicago, I'm up late uh, every night. I have, I just am a late night person and I'm usually, that's where I usually do my reading. So I'm an obsessive reader of books and I try to reach out to novelists to get them on, but it's really kind of, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here before uh, I get started. Like the bizarre world of what uh, writers and their, not agents, but what their reps, it's very peculiar. You know, the reps are like, like, I don't know what they're protecting the writers from. First of all, you can't even get a writer. It's just like trying to find a, just to get a hold of a writer a lot of times is, well, I guess you go through Twitter. I'm not thinking this through, but I'm not really a Twitter guy, putting it mildly. So I'm more of a, like, where's the email? I can't find the email. Uh, so then I go to the rep and the rep's like, well, you know, uh, how many people listen to your podcast? I'm like, probably more than is going to buy that book. <laughs> we can you be so selective? No. Well, you know, or they'll tell you, you know what? It, really annoying. So I'm just going to leave it. They'll tell you they were on some other Chicago show. Well, you were on WGN. Well, nobody cares. Did I ask you what show you were on? You know what I'm saying? So anyway, it's kind of hard to get writers. It's a little easier to get uh, politicians. Obviously, it's a political talk show, but uh, mm-hmm. writers are a tough one. So if you could help me ever with a good uh, Chicago Oh, novelist. definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it used to be, I think you could just walk into any bar room at like one in the afternoon and you'd find a bunch <laughs> of novelists, but that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Uh, and then in the 90s for a while, it was walking into places like Intelligentsia or uh, scenes, coffee house and like few and places like that. But those places don't exist. So now I think you have to go to like a Trader Joe's <laughs> and buy some stuff and then, uh, ask the checkout guys putting your stuff in your bags for you. And that person has probably published many novels. I, I uh, I could just see myself doing that. I, I'm known, I'm pretty, uh, f- folks know this. Uh, I book my own show uh, Dennis does not book the show. People, uh, often surprises uh, people who are used to appearing on radio, but they'll like send emails to Dennis, and, and Dennis is like, uh, "I don't book," uh, and uh, so I book my own show, and I'm pretty. Uh, how do I put this? I'm pretty persistent about uh, getting people. So I could see, see myself going in where Trader Joe's. Uh, excuse me, sir. What are you doing tomorrow at about two o'clock? Come on, my show. Um, <laughs> All right, Salem. Now, uh, as you know, uh, oh, what a week. We take a look uh, at the week's news. Uh, generally, Dennis picks the topics. I allow uh, him total freedom to pick whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this case, uh, I had a couple that I kicked your way because I'm just dying to talk about them. I, uh, I alluded to one already. Uh, but uh, I will let you pick the order uh, that we follow with the stories. So, Salem, take it away. Okay, well, I think we should start today with some uh, breaking news from earlier this morning. And Ben has provided me a piece by Fran Spielman, the great Fran Spielman of the Chicago Sun-Times, 
article that published uh, earlier this morning, and it was just updated about a half an hour ago, Lightfoot's vaccine standoff with police union moves to the courts. Mayor Lori Lightfoot said that she's directed her corporation counsel to file a complaint for injective relief against the Fraternal Order of Police and its president, John Cantancera. Ben, do you have any thoughts about this? Oh, I have, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> so many thoughts. Every, I have so many thoughts about the issue at stake, about the characters who are in this spat, and about the way uh, the newspapers cover it. Um, I kind of get a kick out of the way the newspapers cover it because uh, in, I, I don't know if this is just Chicago, but this is a really Chicago thing. So maybe other cities do it, but Chicago is really into strife and conflict. Uh, I, I learned this at a ver very early age in my uh, writing career. Like if you really want to get a story sold, you have to have some kind of conflict in it. And every now and then I would meet a, a person I was profiling and go, I don't want to be part of the conflict. Could you write? story just about me without the conflict i'm like obviously you don't understand how journalism works this is in the 80s so I, uh it's pretty much the same so when she, this means to make a story really sell you have to have two sides going at it so much much the way it's like a the uh a football game we've got the bears packers coming up we'll talk about that in a little while i'm sure at least i will uh and um so you have to so this is just ready made you have these these two combatants they don't like each other uh, they appeal to out different sides of Chicago, and they're just like, it's just ready-made. So the Sun-Times headline goes, it's like, did Lori Lightfoot back down? That's like the big story. Did she back down? You know what I'm saying? So who wanted Canton Sarah force her to back down? John Canton Sarah, as anybody uh, knows who listens to this show, is the head of the Fraternal Order of Police. And we're in a really curious situation with the Fraternal, Fraternal Order of Police uh, Salem because the city of Chicago roughly went 87% or 85%, something like that, uh, for uh, Joe Biden in the last election. Most people in the city of Chicago cannot stand Donald Trump. Uh, most people in the city of Chicago that I know of anyway, and I think it's probably a majority of people, uh, cannot stand that the name Trump that is on that building right there in downtown Chicago, and they would do anything to get that name off. And we, I still don't understand why our Cook County assessor is not forcing Trump, the people who own that building, to take uh, the sign down or give up their tax break. I'll hold that off for another time. So anyway, uh, but the Fraternal Order of Police is sort of an outlier in this one. Uh, the head of their union, John Cantanzara, is very much pro-Trump. He does not try to hide it. It's occasionally known to wear a, a shirt that uh, proclaims his love for all things Trump. Uh, in the battle to become president of the Fraternal Order Police, he, he faced off against the incumbent at the time, Kevin Graham, and Kevin Graham was also pro-Trump. So the battle for the, to run the Fraternal Order Police came down to who was more loyal to Donald Trump. That's, that's where the Fraternal Order Police is right now, politically speaking. It's like, it wasn't enough to love Trump. You had to like triple love Trump. And Kenton Zara beat Graham, in fact, in part because he proved that he was even more in love with Trump than Graham. So that's where they stand right now. And as such, they've embraced uh, the anti-vaccine movement. And it's really strong. I mean, if you know any police officers, and I know a bunch, um, it'll shock you how many police officers have just bought into this anti-vaccine movement. As they believe it, it's like, well, first of all, if you're pro-Trump, you know this, if you're MAGA, you already don't, you have your doubts about uh, the pandemic anyway. 
So MAGA is not really sure that the pandemic is real. So if it's not real, then why do you need a vaccine? And furthermore, the a vaccine just kind of fits into the whole anti-vax movement anyway, which is being uh, championed by elements of MAGA. So the whole thing comes together and it's this powerful force and it turns and the way they sell it is uh, with like proclaiming their liberty and freedom not to be ordered to be vaccinated. They have a liberty and a freedom. And I, I've always struggled with this, Salem, because like, where were they, as I've pointed out many times, in other fights for liberty and freedom, like the fact that the city requires them to take regular, um, to pee into jars so that they're, they, they're, they can be tested to see if they smoke reefer, or they had something to drink. So it's a very curious choice as to what the final stand for liberty and freedom is. But this is where they're drawing the line. Uh, and uh, Johnny Canizera has made it very clear that he's going to stand with uh, his rank and file on this one. Uh, he's not going to urge them to get the vaccine. If they want to get the vaccine, they can. He himself has said he had the vaccine. But the way he said he got it was he said, well, you know, I got it because I want to be able to travel around the country freely. So it wasn't his Salem, he wasn't saying, oh, I got the vaccine because I take the COVID very seriously. And I think this is the best way to protect myself. No, he he made when he explained that he got the vaccine, he did it in such a way as to like undercut the notion that you need the vaccine. Well, it's like, hey, you know, they're, they're kind of forcing me to do this and I wouldn't do it, but I want to get around the country freely. And if I'm going to represent you, I got to fly in. I don't know, by the way, like I'm not quite sure where he has to go. Just thinking about that. You know what I'm saying? Like what? Where do you got to go? You're the head of the Fraternal Order of Police in Chicago. Where, where do you, where, where you got to go that, you know, if you don't want to take the vaccine, you know, I, just don't go in an airplane. There we go. We figured that one out. I don't know where you have to go. Go down to Florida, hang out with Trump. You can drive. I don't need to get on that airplane. So anyway, so that's kind of, that's how he presented it. Uh, and now we have this showdown. On the other hand, we have Lori Lightfoot who is on the ropes in so many uh, ways in the city of Chicago. We'll get into this a little while later. I'll talk about her showdown with the uh, Hispanic alderman the other day, uh, Salem. But uh, so she, Lori Lightfoot, realizes, of course, that the fastest way to get popular with about 85% of the city of Chicago is to battle MAGA. And nothing represents MAGA. Nothing says MAGA more than Johnny Catanzara and the Fraternal Order of Police. So she's ready now. She's going to... This is her cause. She's going to uh, use it to get everybody else, all the progressives, all the lefties like myself, to forget the fact that she's not really coming through on all her promises on lefty progressive legislation to join her. Yes, Lori, we're with you 100% as you battle MAGA. And so, you know, for the Sun-Times, a tribute, it is like, yes, a showdown. Who's going to blink? So that's where we stand right now. That's kind of generally why I'm utterly obsessed uh, with this story and to watch it unfold. Uh, Salem, do you have any uh, thoughts on this one? I mean, the the headline for the the item that we quoted it calls it a vaccine standoff. You know, now when you think of standoff, you're thinking about high noon. You're thinking about and what. This is my opinion. Um, I'm looking at two seven-year-olds on a playground right now. One of them is saying that his civil liberties are being 
you know, thrown to the wayside in favor of, a, he called it a Nazi regime at one point. Um, I would like to see, you know, where he learned about uh, that group of people, because I, that's, I, I don't, I think they did other things other than asked you if you would note when you got a vaccine or not. Um, and then we could bring it back to like in the article, they also talk about exactly what is being asked for here. This is, this is to me, this is an employer employee issue. I don't, you know, I, I actually don't even care to know about people who are in employment of the Chicago Police Department who don't want to comply. I feel like that's like them saying, no, I don't want to show up for work at 10 o'clock on Tuesday. I'd rather show up at 11 o'clock on Tuesday. That's it. You know, they're just asking them, go to this website, fill it out. You can tell us whether or not you got the vaccine. And if not, you can certify when you're going to get it. Or you can write a little comment to tell us why you're not going to get it. And then you can have a discussion with your supervisor. I I question his judgment, as a lot of people do, as a union member, as we are on the editorial side of the Chicago Reader. Um, I question anybody who would want this person as your union representative, you know, that instead of taking care of my health and welfare on the workplace, you're going to tell me, oh, we got to go into battle now. Well, isn't that what these people have chosen to do for their livelihood anyway? Don't you want your union rep saying like, hey, I'm going to give you an extra, I think everybody needs three weeks more vacation and we need free donuts on Sundays or something like that. Like, that's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear like, oh, guess what, guys? I'm going to get into this, this pissing match with the mayor and, and then I'm going to top it all off by going to Fox and Friends. Did you see that? Ben, he's, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's where that guy's going. That's why he had to get his vaccine so he can get on a little plane and go to the Fox <laughs> and Friends hovel or, or where, cave, I don't know what they, you know. So this is, and, you know, like, I'm on the side of the mayor in some ways on this one. In other ways, and I'm sure you'll get into this with the other story that we were going to talk about later. Ah, there's so many times where her approach to, oh, God, I just... I can't, you know, when her daughter becomes a teenager, those neighbors are going to hear <laughs> screaming matches in the backyard. I'm just telling you, like, just smile from time to time. Okay, Mayor, <laughs> just give us a little, you know, like, oh, like, who does she like? Who are her friends? Why is she so angry? Well, I don't know. Uh, that, by the way, was a great riff. Uh, so I'm giving credit for that <laughs> one. Uh, you, went, uh, you covered a lot of territory in that one. I listen. So many issues here. So get into the what a union should be doing for its uh, members uh, yeah. is a is an important uh, issue. How far does a union want to get away from where its members are? And uh, I've been at this stage uh, personally. I don't know if you were at the reader, but there was a couple times, just a couple times uh, at the reader where uh, it was kind of testy, where the union, the people like who run the union were urging the reader uh, reunion members to be a little more accommodating in negotiations. This is a few years ago. This is before this current regime uh, at the reader, Tracy and Karen. So uh, I understand like that, what is it, that conflict that can uh, emerge from time to time. 
and that testiness that can emerge from time to time. But this one is beyond just like the issue of whether you're, you're going to settle for a 2% raise or a 2.5% raise or whatever, something like that. This has to do with the fact that politically speaking, the Fraternal Order of Police has united itself with MAGA on the issue of vaccines at the detriment to their, their health. And I've talked about this in the show before, I'll repeat it again, uh, that studies show that over 400 police officers have died uh, of COVID-related uh, illness since uh, the pandemic hit in about March of 2020. God, it's been a long time. And so that's four times the number of police officers who've been shot on the line of duty. And so you would think, just from a, a health issue, safety issue, that the union would be bending over backwards uh, to try to protect its members by urging them to get the vaccine. But because the union has united itself with MAGA and is fueled by sort of the same fumes that keep MAGA going, they're rising to this challenge of, no, you can't make us get this vaccine. And I've seen as a result of this, like I saw Anthony Napolitano, the alderman of the 45th, um, excuse me, the 41st ward in the northwest side of Chicago, who himself is a former police officer, or maybe he's on leave, I'm not quite sure, but is very pro-police union, saying, sort of uh, trying to argue, well, you know, we don't really know if the vaccine works. Then you get into that little bizarre country. Like where they try to justify their opposition to the vaccine. I see this go. We talk about this in the NBA with the players in the NBA all the time. All the bizarre little justifications they come up with, like they, they, they're thinking it out. Like this is this is sort of like a logical or a rational view that they have, as opposed to just a purely impulsive political response. So that's where they're at right now, and it's it's kind of scary in a way. Um, that the uh, Fraternal Order Police, the police union in the city of Chicago, will be so tied in with MAGA. I mean, just think about all the issues on criminal justice and law enforcement that MAGA represents, uh, and then you think about the rest of the city of Chicago, and you really alienate it from the city that you're supposed to be working with. Uh, and so now you're taking it to an extreme. So uh, I, I don't know how this is going to resolve itself, uh, but I think it, it it just is symbolic of just like a, a larger alienation that the Fraternal Order Police has from the larger city of Chicago. And again, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, as I said earlier, realizes that it's to her advantage politically to engage Johnny Canizera in this fight, uh, and she's going to go there. Now, it's, I, I think about some parallels uh, assailing with the Chicago Teachers Union. All mayors, at least the last two mayors, uh, Lightfoot and uh, Emanuel, felt politically it was to their advantage to engage in a fight with the Chicago Teachers Union. And they came to realize that by and large, most people in the city of Chicago were going to be on the side of the Teachers Union in a fight with the mayor. The editorial writers for the Chicago Tribune would not be on that on the teacher's side. The editorial writers for the Chicago Sun-Times won't be on the teacher's side the leaders of the corporations in the city of Chicago would not be on the teacher's side. The civic leaders of Chicago would not be on the teacher's side. The um, uh, Kenny Griffin, 
and the leaders of the Republican Party in Illinois would not be on the teacher side, but most people in the city of Chicago would be on the teacher side. So there's really no advantage, politically speaking, uh, to fighting with the teachers' union. Uh, it's a lesson that uh, Rahm really took him a long time to learn, and Lori's not qu- I don't think she's still quite learned it yet. She hates Stacey Davis-Gates so much from the Chicago Teachers Union. Stacey Davis-Gates, by the way, will be a guest on the Ben Jarosky Show next week. So um, I think that uh, Lori Lightfoot will have reaped some political benefits from a fight with Johnny Canazera, head of Fraternal Order Police, um, because the MAGA, they're MAGA, and MAGA is not popular in the city of Chicago. Now, i got to ask you this, Salem. In your own life, dealing with people that you have to, your family, your friends, have you had to confront people who are against the vaccine? So this is, this is exactly why I think that this story is going to be kind of a touchstone for a national conversation about this sort of thing happening in, uh, in, in civically connected organizations all across the country. Because what, what is happening here is that there are certain groups like, um, Kent and Zara and his boys, I'll just call them that, um, who have decided from the beginning to politicize what is in essence a health issue. It's, it's an issue of people taking care of their bodies. It's a public health issue. Um, and they've decided to throw something else on top of that. And then the mayor did the right thing, I think, by proactively making this lawsuit against them. Uh, because it pushes the issue out into the into public discourse. We're talking about it. Other people are going to be talking about it. But it also brings back some of the facts of what's going on in that particular argument. They're not asking them to do some of the things that the FOP is now uh, whining about, basically, in my estimation. Um, I am not a fan of any situation in which regular people, and by that I... I categorize myself and my friends as regular people are being put into the position where we have to be detectives. We have to be, or we feel like we have to be healthcare professionals. We feel like we have to be scientists and research scientists when we're sitting around the backyard trying to decide how to enjoy ourselves, you know? And I have found myself in a couple of conversations. I mentioned this to Ben before the podcast started, uh, you know, where, I realize that someone I know very well is not completely aligned with all of the decisions that I've made. Uh, one situation, you know, I had been really just socializing with this person outside for a couple of months, you know, with lockdown, no one sees each other. Then all of a sudden it's August or September or whenever it was that everybody was like, hey, it's not an issue anymore. We've just decided, woo, and you saw all these people on the street. So, you know, we I'm not immune to that. I have people over and hang out in my nice backyard and talking to one of my friends. And I realized, oh, actually all of that information that you've been posting on Facebook and sending in the text thread about natural healing and how Western medicine doesn't know all these different things about our, how our bodies really respond to the earth. That was just kind of this veiled thing because you didn't want to say, hey, guess what, guys? I'm not getting that vaccine. You can't make me get that vaccine. I think that vaccine is ludicrous. And I'll fight with you when we see each other. If that person would have said that on Facebook, A, they probably would have lost a bunch of friends. B, they wouldn't have been in my in my backyard. But 
I discovered while they were sitting in my backyard that that was really what they were meaning. And that's hard because it's like, I've already invited you. We've known each other for a couple of years. We haven't seen eye to eye on everything. I'm not the sort of person that believes that your friends have to be exactly like you, you know, as are a lot of us. We all have, you know, frankly, this is why a lot of us live in cities. We want to be surrounded by diverse people. We want to be challenged. We want to learn, you know, so... But the fact of the matter is, I don't like being in the situation where now I feel like I have to be this weird nursemaid in my backyard and decide, well, you know, Fred can come over, but Apple's not. I saw what she posted on Facebook. I'm never having her in my house again. You know, she wiped her face on my hand towels. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? So I don't like being this in this situation. And I don't think anybody anybody likes being in this situation. And one of the ways we get out of that is that everybody just does the basic bare minimum, you know? And the other part is like, I don't, I mean, I'm going off on a ledge here, but the FOP, their job, if you decided to be a police officer, you, you're you taking this oath to serve and protect. How are you protecting immunocompromised people, disabled people, all these people in the city of Chicago that you're supposed to be serving, if you're not doing the bare minimum to make sure that you and your coworkers are healthy every day, how, how are you protecting these people? You know, you're just passing disease to disease to disease. And that's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be for, good for your kids. So, I, yeah, I, I, we all hate the situation. That's the thing. We all hate the situation. I don't feel like there's anybody who can who can stand up and say, like, you know, I, I, I don't want to vilify anybody who's kind of sick of wearing a mask. I don't want to vilify, and I, I and I hate when it gets back to that, like, black and white kind of talking in this situation, but the only way it's going to go away is if if people start doing, like, bare minimum stuff, yeah. you know? Well, I, I that's a good point that you made about serve protect. I can, I can re- recall how uh, the position of uh, the union leaders has evolved, uh, the Fraternal Order Police, uh, since the get-go uh, with the vaccine. Because in the early stages of the vaccine, the concern was protecting the health of police officers. And there was legitimate concern about how uh, compromised police officers would be if they were in a, uh, a, a car with somebody who had COVID and was coughing on them. And would there be enough protection uh, for the police officers? That was in the early stages of the uh, the pandemic before it became a political issue, before the official position, and I'll say it again, of MAGA, which controls the Republican Party, uh, and it became that the COVID is overhyped, uh, it's not real, and as a result, anything government does to protect people from it is unnecessary. And furthermore, then they get a little further, anything that government does in terms of vaccines is an unwarranted intrusion on their fundamental liberties. And so as a result, because the Fraternal Order of Police is dedicated to MAGA uh, and is controlled by MAGA, let's just be honest, uh, they have now evolved to that position. So we've moved from the position where, where they were concerned about the health and the well-being of the Chicago police officers to the point where if you want to get the vaccine, get it. If you don't want to get the vaccine, don't get it. You can't make us take something we don't need. And we're not even sure that the vaccine will help us, which is a really bizarre position for, you're absolutely correct, our law enforcement officers to take in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, it makes no sense, you know, and and it, it also is, it's always clear what kind of government people think 
that they would run if they were in charge when they start accusing their the current government of you know like running some sort of fascist regime when they're literally they're asking you to go to a website and check a box that says yes I did it no I didn't you did that you did more than that to get your credit card <laughs> for the love of God just ah so yeah, that's, that's I, my I, take. Yeah, your take as you go, and again, I'll say it again, pe- the way that people pick and choose, the stands they're going to take and the issues they're going to take, it's good for the NBA. I've been talking a lot about Kyrie Irving on, on this show, and uh, Kyrie Irving, of course, the star guard for the Brooklyn Nets, who's declared that he does not want to get vaccinated, does not want that needle in his arm. He has the right to set, tell, to dictate what happens to his body, and he's deciding he does not want to have that intrusion. And as a result... Uh, he is willing to uh, give up, sacrifice his whole year, a year's worth of salary, because he plays for the Brooklyn Nets, and the Brooklyn Nets are in the city of New York. And the New York uh, Mayor Mayor Bill de Blasio, uh, they have an order in that city that you cannot enter the arena, uh, the Barclays Center, where the Nets play, or Madison Square Garden, where the Knicks play, uh, unless you've been vaccinated. So he'll miss half the games all automatically. And the Nets said, we're not playing this. We're not going to have him playing missing home games, uh, then going on road games, not being able to practice at home. We're just going to not have him come in. And we'll pay him for the salary for games that he would have played on the road, so they're not going to make it an economic uh, dispute. Uh, But we're not paying him for the games that he had missed at home uh, because uh, that would be violation of the city law to play in those games. And so, therefore, he's not uh, eligible for that money. And uh, so I, I watch... I watch the debate that uh, hasn't developed over that, and I'm watching Kyrie Irving being embraced by MAGA and Fox as a hero. <laughs> so bizarre. A year ago, they hated him because he supports Black Lives Matter, all right? A year ago, they hated him, but now they love him because he, he represents liberty and uh, in their mind. And it's, it's, it's a very strange. And then I watch some of the players in the NBA. They don't want to criticize him. I find this really weird, uh, Salem. Like, he has this preposterous stance, but they don't want to criticize a fellow player, so they'll say things like, well, you know, he's entitled to his opinion. This one, LeBron James, who I usually love, but come on, LeBron. He's entitled to his own opinion. What? I, I mean, mean... Yeah, yeah. He's, he's definitely, he's definitely going to do what he's going to do, uh, Irving, and... Again, though, in some ways, it comes down to an employer-employee issue, right? You know, so the Nets can decide what they, I don't know if New York is an at-will state <laughs> the way that Illinois is, but uh, it's basically, you, you've decided that you, you want to have this job as your job as basketball player, and you cannot perform the job as it stands. And I think the Nets are actually being incredibly generous uh, with what they've offered this person. But I, I mean, I, I can understand some of his teammates, especially like you don't want to make, you don't want to make enemies out of certain people when you're playing basketball. Right. Because people will, you know, you'll go to some, you'll go somewhere and people throw things at you. You you might be, you know, talking yourself out of a couple of deals. I mean, half of their job is really to make sure that they're going to have some sort of commercial income 
for the next 35 years or something after they play. So, you know, that kind of, and I'm sure some of them also have like friends and relatives that feel the same way about the vaccine. To me, it's never really about whether or not somebody wants to do it. It's just, the fact of the matter is we live in a world with other people. These are the rules. Now you can decide what you want to do with that. And some of the rules are not that difficult. You know, I was just flying. I think you're probably going to be on a plane over the weekend. Um, I, I hate the airport. I used to love flying. You know, it's, it's fun. You feel like you're on this adventure and now it's just kind of like, uh, you know, just spending the entire time making sure that somebody doesn't sit on my lap as they're trying to get into these half seats and whatever. But, um, Thankfully, I got to say, every flight I was on, on my uh, trip that I just took this last couple of weeks, pretty much people were staying away from each other. I think we've all been a little shell-shocked by seeing how people act. And masks were on. Nobody was trying to do anything weird. Um, You know, they offered us all water. And we're all kind of looking at each other like, can I take the mask off now? You know, so I think for the most part, people are being pretty... um, you know, like they're doing what they can about it, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think, um, I think Irving should be, and this, this might sound terrible, but I think he should be happy that he's getting what he's getting for the rest of this season. He's not doing the job he was hired for. Yeah. Uh, he's getting, he's getting millions and millions of dollars. By the way, before you leave this, get to the next topic, I got to tell you when you were talking about the airplanes, uh, the, we had kind of like a, a MAGA sympathetic pilot when we, uh, flew out to LA and it, but I, I thought on one level, I, th- I really liked his approach. So there have been all these stories, uh, Salem, about confrontations on airplanes between passengers who take off their masks and start yelling. And so uh, this pilot, he, and I'm paraphrasing, but he came on, he goes, uh, this is a very frustrating time, this pandemic, which will never end, and but uh, is with us. And so we have to do things we don't like. And so, yeah, it's fallen upon me to tell you, you got to wear a mask. And he did it in such a way, like he wasn't chastising people who didn't want to wear masks. He wasn't taking like a, a Ben or Salem approach to uh, the situation. He was almost like sympathetic, a little, little Canizera in him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like, oh, I'm not even sure you need to wear the mask, but they're making me say you got to wear the mask. So what the heck? We got to wear the mask. And that's just the way it is. Uh, and, and, uh, so it's very interesting pilot, like a little reverse psychology from the pilot. And it was a, a really happy trip. All right. What's the next news item you got for me, uh, today, Salem? Okay. So let's talk about, uh, Mayor Lightfoot yet again. There's always something to talk about with Mayor Lightfoot and another article from Franz Spielman that is in today's Sun-Times, Lightfoot spars with Hispanic caucus over hiring record. Uh, Alderman uh, Carlos Ramirez Merza, who I know you'll be talking about in a bit, Ben, uh, said, quote, it was unnecessarily combative, showed that she takes things very personally. I don't think those are good attributes for a leader to have, end quote, uh, about something that Mayor Lightfoot had said to uh, the Hispanic caucus. And just to give some background, so here's the, the, the item starts, a defensive Defensive Mayor Lori Lightfoot held a stormy meeting, this is great writing, with the city council's Hispanic caucus this week, pushing back hard against complaints about a shortage of Hispanics in leadership positions and demands that she roll back part of her property tax increase. Last year, Lightfoot famously warned members of the Black Caucus who dared to vote against her 2021 budget, quote, 
don't ask me for shit for the next three years, unquote. They didn't spell out shit in the sometimes, just to let everybody know. When it comes to choosing capital projects, um, Ben, I'm sure you have a lot to say. Oh, I have a lot to say. First of all, that last part, which is the least important part of the story, is my, perhaps my favorite. I've always taken great delight in how my beloved Bright One, the Chicago Sun-Times, as I always like to point out, home delivered every day, and the Chicago Tribune, I have a subscription to that one, haven't quite found it. Well, I think the Tribune does uh, print swear words, actually. So the Sun-Times is still holding out. It's a family newspaper. Okay, so even though their readers say the word shit every single day, sometimes three times in the same sentence, they're not going to put it in the newspaper. They want to expose readers to a word that they say every day. So they probably wrote, I haven't seen it. I love it. Sometimes it's a different editor. It'll be, it could be S dash dash T. Now, I struggle with this, ladies and gentlemen. For a long time, I was like, huh. What's the dash dash? Maybe it's slot. I don't know. You know, S dash dash T. And uh, they the, the the one I love was uh they did a story about uh, Ozzie Gian who used to be the manager of the Chicago White Sox. And Ozzie Gian, uh, folks, when he would get going, man, that f bomb is flying, and he does it in many different ways. He puts it like a mother in front of it. You know, it's sometimes it's I-N at the end. You know what I'm saying? Er, he put it, it's just flying. It, it, every which way he uses it as a noun, a verb, an adjective. So the sometimes it's like F dash dash. All it's like F dash 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 dash. Just put it in there. Let it go, man. Let it go, guys. It's the year 2021. You got to let it go sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Then they don't they don't want to scandalize everyone who just went to the paper to see the latest Heathcliff or, you know, Mary <laughs> No, they're ready, worried about uh, Karen Hawkins, my uh, our editor. Shout out Karen Hawkins. Uh, she told me that um, she told me a story about one time, like if 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 I put the I drop an f bomb, which I'm known to do from time to time in a in a column or a newsletter, the chances are they'll get a, a some kind of email from someone. You know, he doesn't have to use language like that. And so it's like one person writes it. You know, sometimes I don't know standards should be upheld, and the bright one's like, yeah, we're gonna uphold those standards. So Lloyd Life it swears like a sailor. I mean, in fact, I've just insulted sailors. Lori Lightfoot swears more than a sailor. And so, <laughs> but the sometimes, sometimes 75% of the people of the city of Chicago voted for Mayor Lori. They loved Mary Lori, Mayor, they did it again. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, even though she swears, they can handle she it. She's not the father. So, <laughs> she's not the father. Uh, so anyway, uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa was on the, the show yesterday. Uh, it was a recording to drop on Saturday and he tells the whole story. So I'm, this is my way of promoting that segment. Salem, I urge absolutely everyone that that show will drop tomorrow morning to check it out. Uh, it's very enlightening. Uh, and it talks about, he, he gives an eyewitness account of this meeting between Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the Latino caucus. The Latino caucus is, as it uh, sounds, it's not just a caucus filled with people of, uh, who are Latinos, but from wards that are majority Latino. So for instance, Ed Burke, 
uh, and Burke, who is not Latino, he's Irish American, uh, but he represents a ward that's heavily uh, Latino. So he's in the uh, Latino caucus. Uh, Sue Sadlowski Garza uh, from the tenth ward. She's in the uh, Latino caucus. So anyway, it's a caucus that's generally dedicated to the interest of Latino residents in the city of Chicago, which is a very complicated subject because that is a, an extremely diverse community. And as Adolfo Mondragon, who comes on the show all the time, will point out, you can't assume that. A Puerto Rican resident of the Northwest side will have the same worldview as a Mexican American resident of the Southwest side. So it's really difficult uh, to chart a course uh, that would unite all members of this caucus. You got someone like Raymond Lopez, alderman of the 15th Ward, who, although he, he swears up and down he didn't vote for Donald Trump, Raylo, I'm kind of thinking the privacy of that voting booth. You punched Trump. Just saying, Raylo, he is very conservative. And he's in the same caucus as Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who's on the show yesterday, who's a Democratic Socialist. He's very lefty. Just imagine trying to find an accord between Raylo and Carlos Ramirez Rosa. By the way, the two of them have agreed to debate. Uh, they have a, on all kinds of issues, and I'm trying to set it up. At the hideout, that should be a lot of fun, Salem. But anyway, oh boy. yeah, wow. I know that'll be a good one. Yeah, they're both really good on their feet. Uh, so. Uh, I tend to agree with Carlos Ramirez Rosa uh, more often than not, but I must concede that Raymond Lopez uh, is a strong debater. Anyway, um, so that's the caucus. They're meeting with uh, Lori Lightfoot, and the issue arises of, um, there are two issues uh, that arose. One uh, had to deal with uh, Hispanic hiring, uh, and the caucus was urging her to hire more Latinos uh, to positions of authority in city council. And she was defending her record. And she said she was the best mayor when it came to hiring Hispanics in the history of the city of Chicago. The best. And Andre Vasquez, the pride and joy of the 40th Ward, who was also on this show this week. Good. All these guys coming on the show this week. Uh, he said, but even better than Harold Washington. Now, Salem, you're younger than I am. We're going to get into this, I think. You're younger than I am. So you probably weren't, you don't remember Harold Washington, but for baby boomers of a leftist persuasion like myself, Harold is like the epitome. He's like, you can't even, you, like if I had to put a Mount Rushmore of Chicago mayors, I could only put one mayor on there. You can't even get four good mayors. You just best got one, Harold. Best we <laughs> Maybe ever I'll had, put, Best we yeah. ever had. Best we ever had. Best we yeah, ever I had. I was alive for Harold. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. I mean, at that point, Mayor Lori Lightfoot should say, you know what, Andre, you're right. You're right. There's only one Harold Washington. He was the greatest. It'd be like if, let me just try to think of this right now, Zach Levine of the Chicago Bulls, who's a pretty good guard, got carried away with himself, you know, and just said, I'm the best guard the Chicago Bulls have ever had. And then someone would say, Zach, what about Michael Jeffrey Jordan? And then... Zach Levine would say, you know what? You're right. I just got carried away for a moment. It's not hard to say, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. You got enthusiastic. You were just trying to prove your point. You said something to extreme, and you should say to Andre, you know what, Andre, you're right. Harold Washington was the greatest. Harold Washington forged a coalition between Hispanics and blacks that had never existed in the city of Chicago. You're absolutely right, Andre Vasquez. If it wasn't for Harold Washington, there would not be an independent Hispanic movement in the city of Chicago. There would not be. So most of you aldermen, whether you realize it or not, owe your election to Harold Washington because he forced the other wing of the Democratic Party, the white right wing of the Democratic Party, to openly reach out to Hispanics in order to win the election against Harold. 
You think they were just going to, you think they were going to start slating his, you think Mayor Daly would have slated Hispanics for aldermen if he didn't worry about a threat like Harold Washington? Come on, Chicago, you got a brain, use it. So she should have said that. You're right, Andre. Instead, no, double, yes, better than Harold. Man, and I got to tell you, Salem is an old baby booming lefty. I'm like, when uh, when Carlos told me that, I was like, you got to be kidding me. How dare you say you're better than Harold Washington? I don't care if you've hired more Hispanics than him. I don't care if you get like some geeky little story that you get the Tribune to write. No, Cranes. Cranes will write it. <laughs> Lily did a study based on what uh, Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot told us. She's hired more Hispanics than Harold. Cranes will write that one. Because Harold opened it up. Harold changed the game. You just came along to playing a game that Harold changed. So stop acting like you're greater than Harold Washington. Show some humility for crying out loud. So Salem, I just lost it when he told me that. I couldn't believe that. I was I can't, I can't. Well, I, I can I can interrupt you here with a quote from Carlos that's in the Sun Times today, where he's talking about the situation, and I think you might get a kick out of this. So uh, Ramirez Rosa said she, meaning the mayor, said she's quote poured a fuck ton of money into black communities and sidebar the sometimes spells it F dash 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 T O N. And that no mayor, not even Harold Washington had done more for the African American community. That's what. No, the Hispanic community. All right. So yes. So this is the second part. Uh, and uh, again, I urge everybody to check out Carlos's uh, the interview because he really takes a deep dive on fuck ton. Uh, and as soon as he, I had never heard of the word fuck ton before, uh, Sam, I've heard of the word fuck in many different, you know, uh, uses, but I'd never heard it put in front of a ton. It's like, whoa, that's pretty clever. Like Mayor Lori Life is like a poet. You know what I mean when she's. Uh, She's really feeling it. She, <laughs> she's, you know, she's, uh, uh, she's letting it go. And, uh, so that, that little, uh, tangent occurred this way. So according to, uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, they were having discussion on the issues of a, uh, reparations. And, uh, it, she's, that's when Lori Lightfoot, which, which emerged from their discussion of the issue of guaranteed income, which Lori Leifert, to her credit, I had uh, somebody on the show yesterday talking about this, uh, that the, the, the mayor's endorsing at least one year worth of guaranteed income for the poorest of the poor in the city of Chicago. Although if they run this program like they run the TIF program, somehow or other the money will go to Ken Griffin. Uh, so anyway, and... Uh, she was explaining uh, to the, the Latino aldermen who were gathered or the aldermen from Latino wards who were gathered, they're meeting with her, uh, that she's under pressure from black aldermen uh, to do give, have a reparations program. Like she's not done enough for them. And she goes, I've given a fuck ton to the black community. And I ha I, that was like, that set me off even more than the Harold Washington thing. And I, you know, Salem will be writing a column about this. So if you edited me, get ready. You don't usually edit me. Karen Hawkins, as I said, is my editor. Um, but uh, I, 
been criticizing uh, the chief economic development program in the city of Chicago for over 20 years. It's called TIFFs, and it's largely intended to help the poorest of poor communities, uh, the ones that are experiencing the most blight. But because of the way the program is structured, it's eligible, open to any community in the city of Chicago. So as a result, the richest communities are the beneficiaries of the program that is intended to help the poorest communities. Let's think about that for a moment, people. This is the city of Chicago that you live in. And so for her to say she's done a fuck ton uh, for black communities is completely untrue because right now the only fuck ton she's done for is the white communities. I hate to say it. I'm not, it's not just her fault. She inherited this program from Rahm who inherited it from Daly, but this is the reality. This is the program she's inherited and she's made no attempt to change it. In fact, she resisted attempts to change it in court. So I'm like, Sam, I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. First, she insults the legacy of Harold Washington by daring to say she's greater than Harold Washington. And then <laughs> she I mean, insults I the intelligence of Chicago's. Go ahead. I just, I, I really, and I, I'll, I'll never stop saying this. And, and uh, I, I feel bad if this is insulting to her or her family or anybody that helped to raise her. But for God's sake, woman, like, what happened that made you so angry, so defensive in every situation on the job, on the street? I mean, it's this is the same kind of reaction as when she was having that press conference, like at the beginning of COVID, and they're talking about shutting down the basketball courts and the playgrounds. And then there were these two kids down the street that happened to choose that day to go out and play basketball. And she literally chases them down the street with cameras there. The fact that you would just do that on camera and not think about it. <sighs> I, I feel bad for whoever, you know, went over to all their rich friends one night and said, Hey, you know, I know that we're, we're having some problems figuring out who's going to be the next candidate for the mayor of the city of Chicago. And this is a crappy job. We all know it. Everybody knows it. Who in their right mind would want this job? It's never ending. You inherit all of this crap, but you're going to have to do something with it. But there are some pluses. Like you get to go to Lollapalooza for free. <laughs> you can go over to any Maxwell Street Depot. I bet they'd give you a hot dog with some fries on the side for free, you know. But somebody had that dinner party that night and they said, I know this lawyer, Lori Lightfoot, you know, she's a little tough and um, her methods are a little unusual, but I think she'll get the job done. Well, and then everybody's like, you know what? I just want to stop thinking about this anymore. I got this next two episodes of Scandal are on. There's this new show called Succession I want to check out. I got, I got a lot of stuff. Yeah. All right. Here's my, here's my thousand, my $1,500. Go ahead. <laughs> you put her up. You go ahead. We'll see what happens. What I don't, I don't get, I don't get arguing to this extent with the people with really the only people that are going to assist her in making the next portion of this term better she's set up a situation for herself where every day she goes to work and somebody is just going to start an argument with her because she did it on Monday. Yeah. What the heck? I don't get it. And and then to have that level, this is what my friends and I call the level of confidence. Uh, I mean, in some ways it's of men, but 
it's here's here's my example. There's a man who's maybe nomadic, homeless, living on a park bench, falls asleep on the park bench, wakes up, sees a pretty lady, immediately calls out and asks her out. How you doing? That's the kind of confidence that me and my friends sometimes tell each other we have to have if we're trying to go for a job interview or something like that. You need the confidence of somebody who just woke up on a park bench and thinks that they can just like wake up and see someone beautiful and say, hey, you want to go out on Friday? I know I just woke up on this bench. That's what our mayor has. She has that kind of confidence. So on one level, that's admirable. It's amazing. She can walk into any room and doesn't matter what you put in front of her, she's going to have an opinion, she's going to be pushy, she's going to, whatever. That's great, wonderful. But you can't, you can't get anything done making the kind of enemy she's making. This is ridiculous. This well, is ridiculous. She, uh, she, uh, the, she's now uh, at battle with the Fraternal Order Police. Uh, she's pretty much burned every bridge uh, with Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, and so I suppose in her eyes, those are represent uh, the extremes. Now, I personally find that offensive uh, because I, I don't think that being a, a union that's dedicated to MAGA uh, is in any way comparable to being a union that's dedicated to like Bernie Sanders uh, or Bernie Sanders ideals, if not literally Bernie Sanders. Uh, but that's my position. That's my worldview. And she's uh, going to be uh, struggling with this uh, for a long time. Uh, that combativeness. And, you know, that riff that you went on reminded me, I, I, I kind of agree with that. On one level, I'm envious. And I was this way of Rom, too. Like, Rom, Mayor Rom, uh, he had such a sense of entitlement and willfulness uh, that I almost was, I was like, wow, that's impressive. I don't have that same. By Salem, in a million years, I, can't, I don't approach it. You know what I mean? That that sense that this is mine. I want it. I'm gonna take it. You owe it to me. And even if I'm, I don't care about you anyway. It's like I'm, I'm really obsessed. Right? We're watching the Squid Games right now. I don't know if you've seen the Squid Games at all, but uh, so it's kind of going off the rails. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've watched. Uh, I got two episodes left, but it's really going. Have you watched the Squid Games, Salem? You know what I'm talking about? The Squid Games. I, you know, I, I just found out what it was. I thought it was about people overeating calamari as an appetizer or something. And I was so excited, and then they're just like, it's these people and like matching tracksuits. I don't, I don't know. Yes, yeah. don't don't watch yeah. it. Uh, okay. I I'm not recommending it to anybody. I'll probably take a deeper dive with uh, Ramana next week because uh, she's she's pretty much. I think she's finished watching it. Uh, but the point is, is that it's a battle for survival and you have to, to win this battle, you have to put your needs above everyone else's and you have to literally walk over someone's dead body to survive. And that's that attitude that you matter more than anyone else. So the, like the squid game is supposed to make you think about like this extreme competitiveness that capitalist society has forced us uh, into where it's like us against them them against us, you know, and and it's, uh, your entire existence is at stake. I guess that's the larger theme. Uh, but the point is when I watch the squid game, I'm like, man, Mayor Rahm would be doing real well in the squid game because it's all about him and Lori life will be doing well too. She'd be talking trash and elbowing people. Uh, that'd be interesting. Lori Lightfoot and Mayor Rahm in the squid game. He's going <laughs> to win. Uh, so anyway, I uh, yeah. So what you said is is partly true. 
a bit of envy uh, for Lori Lightfoot uh, and Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daly, for that matter, just felt, you know, because he was born uh, to the royal family, just felt it was ent- he was entitled uh, and the whole entire city's bowing down to Mayor Daly. Oh, you're the smartest. You're the best. <laughs> that was the 90s in Chicago. Mayor Daly, we love you. Anyway, those are our mayors. That's that fight. I urge everybody uh, to check out uh, the interview that drops tomorrow. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, the alderman of the 35th Ward, really gives us uh, the inside scoop on that meeting uh, of the Latino Caucus and Mayor Lori Life. What else you got for me, Salem? Well, I think since we're both uh, reader staffers and uh, uh, been working all this year about about some reader-related things, we should talk about all of that. Um, I'm sure your listeners know that uh, this is the 50th year of the Chicago Reader, um, the greatest alternative news media juggernaut on the planet. Um, I am just saying that. No, I'm not just saying it. Um, it's actually been one of my favorite things to to read and find uh, information from since since I was a kid because I grew up here. So um, it's it's a pleasure and a privilege to be there. But uh, but you and I are both involved in some upcoming uh, things to do with our anniversary. And also, I I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about a column that you wrote for the reader uh, recently about uh, your beginnings. If you you want to talk about that for a couple of minutes, I think it's a, I thought it was a really great column. Thank Uh, you. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So the reader's celebrating its 50th anniversary, uh, as Salem uh, said, and that's a great uh, issue. I read that it was a very long article. It's so classic, uh, Salem. Uh, the reader is known back in the 80s and 90s for really long, and the O's, for really long articles. And be, I, I've mentioned this before. People be complaining, your articles are too long. Man, don't read it then, okay? You know, whatever. That was the reader's attitude. You don't want to read it, don't read it. You know, we're making so much money on the ads. We don't really care if you read the article. That was kind of the reader's attitude. The reader had that little arrogance uh, back in the 80s and the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to read it. Nobody, nobody's making you read it. The reader would have this attitude in the 80s and 90s. I'm not making this up, Salem. They would be going, like, whatever it is that everybody was talking about, let's just, I'm just trying to think of a 90s thing that people would have been talking about. And I'm not like, I'm, what was the 90s? Oh, Lewinsky, uh, Clinton. Okay. You know what I mean? Everybody would be talking about Lewinsky, Clinton, and the, which led to the impeachment, which I'm speaking of utter obsessions in mind. I cannot stop watching uh, impeachment. I love Ryan Murphy. Anyway, neither here nor there. So the reader would be talking about Lewinsky, Clinton. I mean, the people would be talking about Lewinsky, Clinton, and the reader would have a headline that would say, and not one word about Lewinsky, Clinton. They would be like bragging how they're not talking about or not dedicating any space to the, the one topic that everyone in America is talking about. And that's that. I kind of liked it. On one hand, I was like, hmm, not sure this is a model for a successful publication where you're willfully not talking about the one subject that everyone in America is talking about. It'd be like today it would say not one word about squid games uh, if that was following that old model. You know what I'm saying? Uh, not one word about John Kent and Zara and the vaccine mandate. You know, they're bragging about how we're not going to talk about what everything you're talking about. But that was that. They were so successful they could do that, you know. And um, so uh, that was uh, the Chicago Reader's attitude about long stories. But uh, what I'm coming at, there was a really long story. And this week's Chicago Reader celebrating the history of this. I go, you know what? It's only appropriate that they write a really long story about the history of the Chicago Reader because the Reader was known for a real long story. So, Sam, I'm going to tell you something right now. I did this for you. 
you told me, Ben, you got to read that story. I go, come on, Sam, I'm so busy. And you said, Ben, we're doing this show tomorrow, and you got to read that story. I read the whole story, okay? okay. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Uh, and Dr. D would have given you the same homework, I'm sure. He, he would have given me. He wouldn't have read it, though, but at least you read it. Uh, but anyway, I digress. That's uh, the reader 50th anniversary issue. I urge everybody to check it out. Tracy Bain was on the show on Wednesday, a co-publisher of Chicago Reader. Uh, and she, uh, you might want to check out that uh, interview because she talks about the future of the reader, the future of journalism in her estimation, as many publications like the reader are heading toward a nonprofit model. Really good uh, conversation with Tracy Bain. Uh, but yes, I've been writing for the reader uh, for a very long time, but I just wanted to point out, I wanted to take that opportunity in the 50th anniversary issue of the Chicago Reader to point out that even though everybody thinks I'm the oldest man in captivity, I have not, repeat, not been writing for the Reader since the day the Reader began. And there was a moment in time when I wasn't writing for the Reader, and that moment in time was called the 1970s, a decade at Salem I know you're only faintly aware of. Uh, and um, so I kind of like, it was like, if you imagine like an airplane taking off. Say, Alan, follow me on this. This is just coming to my mind. So I don't know where I'm going with this. You know how an airplane has to go down the runway before it builds up enough momentum to fly? Well, that was me in my journalism career. In the 1970s, I was like that airplane running down the runway. Do I have enough energy? Yes, I'm going. And then I took off and I've been sort of flying ever since. Uh, sometimes it's more turbulent, bumpy ride. So yeah, I talk about... Uh, <laughs> My 50-year love affair with the Chicago Reader, how I went from just being a reader-reader to a reader-writer and now a reader-talker. And uh, 50 years, Salem. I think it's, a, it's really something that your listeners should check out. It's on the website now. Uh, if you look for uh, Ben's name on the website, you'll see it pop up. Uh, we've also managed to uh, find a, a, a picture from uh, some time ago. <laughs> Of a of a young idealistic Ben, uh, in a very very fetching, I'll say, with all respect to holy matrimony, sweater vest. The sweater vest. I don't know why that got shelved as a fashion statement. I think I really think those should come back. But um, I encourage all of your listeners to go pick up a paper. They're still on the street. Um, it's the, the October 14th issue. So they just got distributed if you're in Chicago land. And if you're not go to the website and you'll see what I'm talking about. There's, there's like a twinkle in your eye that says like, Hey, I just, I just started working for this alternative news weekly. And, um, I have a lot of stories to tell, you know, they're, they're... Oh my goodness. <laughs> that picture. You're right. Uh, you know, I deserve a lot of, uh, <laughs> Uh, ribbing for that picture, uh, Karen Hawkins, uh, uh, my editor, the reader, love you, Karen. Uh, she sent me a text the other day. You got a picture because I she read the article, their column, and, and she goes, "You got a picture that illustrates what you looked like at the time that this stuff was going on when you first sold your first story to the reader." I go, "Well, I got one photo." Like, so I sent her this picture, and it actually, I was uh, it's at a stove, and I'm stirring. I'm not known as a cook, but I was stirring a white sauce. I remember. It was a Thanksgiving uh, photo, and I have this. Ramana Hussein was giving me grief about it, uh, about this vest I'm wearing. It is ridiculous. You should get the reader just to look at that vest. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> I don't know where that vest is, uh, Salem. Uh, it's long gone, but 
and, and the hair, just like the hair is long gone. I had a lot of hair back in those days. Uh, so it goes. Um, well, anyway, uh, we're we're excited though that um, so for the for the paper for people who pick up the paper, this is the first of two anniversary issues, uh, and there'll definitely be more pictures, not necessarily of Ben, but uh, kind of years and writers gone by and stuff like that in the second uh, of, of our anniversary issues. So the second one will be out on uh, Thursday, October 28th, and all of the articles are usually online, you know, just the days following. But but yeah, Ben, your, your, your essay that you wrote was really, especially for people that follow writing and are kind of interested in, in the, the journey it takes to to do what we do, I think um, you had some really good insights. So I, I thank you for your continued work with us. And I thank you for uh, choosing us as like your home base um, because it makes us a stronger paper. Thanks, Sam. I, I really appreciate that. It's uh, really nice of you to say that the, the, the kind of the central point, uh, other than the jokes I make, uh, is that, uh, you know, I had a decision uh, where I wanted to go with what I did and the kind of voice I wanted to have and the kind of issues I wanted to uh, sort of champion and spotlight. And uh, it took a while, you know, I mean, I, if you read my stuff from the eighties, it's not literally the same as the stuff I'm writing now. I mean, writers change over time. My general worldview is, has stayed the same. Uh, so I haven't changed politically, but styles change and um, you know, uh, certain liberties, freedoms that I didn't have back in the eighties and nineties. I now have, uh, and I just, I, I came, I, I came a realization that I really wasn't like a, a mainstream type of person. And that's how I recount a conversation I've had many times with many people over the years who've asked me, well, why don't you go work for the Tribune? You know, the Tribune was, uh, but it made a lot more money and a lot more readers and people would say, you know, and it's kind of out of an insult, by the way, Sal, when people would say that to you. I'm just throwing that out there, folks. You know, like, why are you working for that rinky-dink operation? You can work for the Tribune, you know? Uh, be a real reporter, huh? And I don't know. I, my response always was, well, you, when you read the Tribune, do you ever see anything remotely like what I write? And, and they would say, no. And I go, well, why do you think I would want to write for them then? I mean, you think I'm just doing this as, like, exercise? It, you know? And so... I don't know. I don't know what my life would have been like if it wasn't for the reader. And uh, so, yeah, I've been writing here for over 40 years. No, not quite. Eh, well, yeah, about 40 years. So anyway, uh, thank you, Sam. We're, you and I will be doing a show together, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so we're uh, we're going to be at the hideout next Tuesday, the 19th. It uh, starts at 6 p.m. So um, for those of you familiar with the North Side's hideout here in lovely Chicago, uh, every third Tuesday they have a, an open trivia night. Um, you donate 5 to 20 bucks, depending on how you're feeling that week, and the proceeds all go to a local mutual aid uh, fund or a food pantry. Uh, they pick a different neighborhood every month to, to honor with the, with the donations. Um, the trivia night happens to be hosted by Paul Tarika, who is in his daytime work, uh, the director of exhibitions over at the Newberry Library. And because the reader uh, currently has an exhibition of uh, a lot of information and, and images and artifacts from our archives uh, in honor of our 50th anniversary, Paul has invited Ben and I to come over to 
the hideout and we'll be doing an interview segment with him in, uh, in the middle of trivia. He's also, we'll have uh, a whole section of Chicago Reader related trivia to start out the game. So you can go and play, you can just go and sit and uh, have beverages and, and enjoy the show. Uh, and then halfway through, there's also some uh, musical guests, and uh, they'll also be talking to uh, some of the Chicago History Museum people about the exhibition that's up there, about the uh, 150th, it's the 150th anniversary this year of the Great Chicago Fire. Uh, so um, Paul has someone who uh, is going to channel uh, Catherine O'Leary, the, uh, the uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the keeper of the cow. Uh, so someone is going to be acting as though they are Catherine O'Leary and doing a little segment as well. Uh, but Ben and I will be there. Um, my dog that you might hear, uh, it will not be there. Not, not at this point. That, that's too much. Um, and uh, yeah, it should be a fun time. Um, if you can't make that, uh, or if you're an out-of-towner, I encourage you to go to the Newberry Library uh, for free. You can go see the Reader Exhibition. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 4. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just a fun collection of all the, of, of a bunch of the things that they have in their archives from, from the various iterations of the Chicago reader. All right. Very so. good. And we're going to close, uh, wh uh, whatever you want to choose to close with whatever news story or that you want to, uh, walk out the door with, take it away, Sal. Oh God. Uh, well, I think we've talked a lot about the mayor. So let's talk about something that, uh, frustrates me even more, um, if that's possible. Um, let's talk Chicago sports for a couple minutes, if you don't mind. Um, I am a lifelong Chicago White Sox fan. Um, I knew I was going to be disappointed. I had my hopes. I really was like an all the way, this is going to be our year again. Um, you know, I remember in 2005, uh, staying up very late at night to watch every single one of those uh, playoff games. And then when they finally won the world series, running out onto the street and being surprised that it was, you know, 11 at night and no one else was out on the street. It was just me like, Whoa, we won, you know, but I, <laughs> I was kind of hoping uh, this was not our year. Um, I'm not a big uh, Tony La Russa fan. Um, I actually have a picture of myself with him when I was eight because I my dad won uh, the chance for me to be Batgirl for a, for a game. So I took pictures with everybody on the 83 Central Division winning Chicago White Sox, including Larissa, who was the manager at that time. Um, and, uh, and I still don't like him, but it, that's okay. Um, so I... I um, I, I, up until a couple of, uh, up until yesterday, really, I was convinced that all of this, the winning was a ruse. What this really was came down to was that um, the White Sox were looking to replace La Russa because, you know, he came out of retirement for this. I think he was just trying to add on some pension dollars or something like that. Maybe somebody was doing him a, a favor. I don't know. And I thought really what they were trying to do is like, you know, work the machine a little bit so they'd be able to see Dusty Baker in person, maybe consider poaching him at some point. You know, he's familiar with Chicago. He's been here before. Maybe he likes us. Um, you know, I like some of Dusty's attitude. 
Uh, but I just read uh, an article last night that, uh, you know, Tim Anderson and a couple of other people from the organization said, no, 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 Lewis is coming back. So disappointed on all fronts. Um, I know it won't win me any points. I, you know, if anybody from the White Sox organization is, is listening, I still would love to go to your games for free. Uh, you know, um, just because I don't like one guy doesn't mean I don't like the rest of you, you know, even even the whatever the mascot is now. I, I don't know. I remember when they were bringing back Ruby and Rhubarb and that was enough for me. But yeah, so a little bit of disappointment in that. And everybody in my family, Ben, you know, Chicago family, um, there's only one other White Sox fan. Almost everybody else is Cub fans. To the point where uh, one time one of my aunts said that me not liking the Cubs was a disgrace. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my Lord. We're, we're the classic Chicago family. So, you know, yeah. Well, uh, I uh, love the White Sox. And I really enjoyed this year. I'm gonna. Uh, we're not gonna agree on absolutely everything, Salem. Uh, I, I think Tony Larusa did a good job this year. And you're not alone in your estimation. I should point out, uh, Greg Kelly, good friend of this show. Greg, I see you uh, from SEIU. I read him on Facebook. He writes a lot about sports on his Facebook page, uh, and he opined, uh, much like you did, that he did not think uh, Tony Larusa was the right manager for the White Sox. And as a result, uh, he blamed uh, Tony Larusa for the loss. Yes. Our beloved White Sox were defeated three to one in games uh, to the Houston Astros, who are coached, who are managed, as Salem alluded to, by Dusty Baker, who used to manage the Chicago Cubs, the San Francisco Giants, Cincinnati Reds, was a great player for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and um, is a fine manager, no doubt about it, in my humble opinion. So... Uh, but I feel that uh, Tony La Rosa uh, did a very good job this year. Uh, very challenging circumstances, lots of injuries for the Chicago White Sox. They never really had a stable uh, starting staff. Uh, their bullpen was up and down all year with in, due to injuries, guys coming in. Craig Kimbrell, a major disappointment that the, they traded, uh, brought in from the Cubs. It's like the Cubs. Like, why would you trade for a Cub? Uh, don't get me started. Uh, and um, none of the Cubs, by the way, that were traded midseason, just throwing us out, Cub fans, have done that well for the teams that they were traded to. Chris Bryant was traded to San Francisco Giants, did not do that well. The one, well, he wasn't tra- Kyle Schwarber. They dumped him uh, at, the, out, at the start of the season. He's done for, fairly well. For, for first of all, the Baltimore Orioles, now the Boston Red Sox. Uh, but uh, Javi Baez didn't do that well for the New York Mets. And uh, let's name it Anthony Rizzo did not do that well for the New York Yankees. So maybe those Cubs players were inflated in their talents anyway. But uh, so, uh, yeah, it was a disappointing end to a wonderful season. So thank you, Chicago White Sox. And I got to tell you, this is to your aunt, who I know you love dearly and is a great person in every other way. We'll just call her Aunt Salem. Um, cause I don't know her real name. Aunt Salem. Come on. You got to drop that. That Cubs White Sox thing is so old and I'm, it's like, it was old when it was old. It's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Do you realize Aunt Salem? I'm going to tell you this right now. In this team of losers, when it comes to baseball, you have two chances for a win. Why would you throw away one chance to have a successful team, root for a successful team, just because you hate the other team. I never understood that sound. When I moved 
I'm not from Chicago. When I moved here, I was like, oh, I'll root for both teams. And then Chicagoans are like, no, you can't. You can't, Ben. It's like dibs. I don't know. The weird things that Chicago does and embraces, I don't get. I don't understand this thing about you can't like them both. What was that guy that approached John Cusack? Remember that? It was a uh, uh, right. game, game two. Game two, I think. Yeah, it was. It was one of the. Uh, it was the guy who writes for Barstool Sports, which yeah. is why we all know about it. And uh, he basically said, you know, you can't be a Sox fan because we know that you're a Cubs fan. Because uh, Cusack and and Jeremy Piven and the, that whole group were spotted like many times. I remember always seeing them in the. Uh, in the who, what, where section in the Sun-Times back in the day, you know, the, the old picture of them in the bleachers or whatever at the Cubs games. But, um, yeah, I don't, I didn't watch the whole thing, so I don't know if Kusak really said anything. Oh, my God, Kusak took, to took this guy down. I'm going to say oh, this about really? Johnny Kusak. Oh. Pride and Joy of Evanston High School, class of 1984, John Kusak. Yeah, I see you, John Kusak from Evanston. And this is a guy who loves sports. He's an obsessive sports fan. So some stranger comes up to him and starts giving him grief about being at a White Sox game. He starts saying, who played first base for the White Sox in 1980? An old boy from Barstool is like, hubba, hubba, hubba. man, dude, don't challenge someone if you don't know your stuff. Again, it's like Mayor Lori Lightfoot saying she's the greatest mayor the city of Chicago had. You know, there's Harold Washington. So Barstool guy, don't go up to Johnny Cusack and say you can't be a White Sox fan if you don't even know anything about the White Sox. Timmy Tutton did that at the Chicago Hide uh, at the Hide. I see you, Tim Tutton, hiding there. The Hide. One time he came up to me, he goes, Ben, you can't be a Sox fan and a, and a Cub fan. I go, Tim, name three members of the White Sox. <laughs> I'm sorry, Salem. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying this. You got to like one or the other. That's such a Chicago thing. And Chicago, and think of all the stupid things you do. Like, make a list. I should do this as a column someday. The 10 dumbest things that Chicagoans do. Oh, boy. On that list will be rooting for either the White Sox or the Cubs, because it's a Chicago thing. Salem, I'd love to see your list, by the way. You know, the 10 dumbest things. Maybe just five dumb things, if you can only come up with five things. But Oh, I, I don't, I don't think I, there's enough paper in the world to, <laughs> for me to make a list of the dumb things other people do. Are you kidding me? Holy uh, cow. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, uh, now I think, uh, I think that I, I do respect that, you know, during a regular season, even as a, someone who just likes baseball in general, I'm not going to be watching every Cubs game. It's just the way it is, you know, and I'm not going to know all the players' names because I'm not really paying attention to the National League. That's just my preference. However, if they're winning, yeah, I'll be happy for them because it's it's what? They're a Chicago win. So that's how I feel about it. And if, if somebody can afford those playoff tickets, like God bless, they can go to whatever games they want, you know. That, that was really expensive. So, yeah, as long as they keep – Sox Park, where it is in my beautiful Bridgeport, which I, you know, I, I don't live there, but I live close by and that's good enough for me. And, you know, I, I think we, we are a city that can have more than one baseball team and we're totally great. And we also have now is the time that we all need to gather together and fight our real enemy, which are the cheeseheads that are coming. Oh, <laughs> the bears. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just got to say this. I'm a complete hypocrite, Salem, uh, because right now I'm not, I just find it imp impossible to root for the Cubs with their ownership. So it's, having just oh, said that okay. whole thing, yeah. I just I throw it out that. the window. Uh, yeah. 
uh, yes, uh, we'll close with this. My beloved Chicago Bears that I have a love-hate relationship with. Everybody knows. I follow them passionately. Can't believe I've done, been doing this since 1966. And yet I cannot stand the notion that Chicago or Arlington Heights is gearing up to give them all sorts of money to build a stadium that they should just build themselves. Uh, they'll be playing the Green Bay Packers this Sunday. And uh, the experts at the Sun-Times, every Friday, my beloved Bright One, they have their football writers or their sports writers line up uh, a sale and make their predictions. And uh, generally, it's like if you're trying to predict about the Bears these days with the quarterback situation they have, your good odds are to bet against the Bears, all right? Um, but there was one, so typically um, uh, fashion, there was, I think there's five writers. I'm looking at my picture that I sent to you. And um, there's five writers, uh, and four of them have lined up uh, for the Packers. All real, really going out on a limb there, Rick Morrissey and Rick Taylor, with predicting the Packers are going to win. Oh, they, way to take a stand, guys. Anyway, Patrick Finley, give this guy credit, has predicted that the Bears will defeat uh, the Packers in overtime, 20 to 17. So obviously, it'll be a, vic a victory on a field goal. Finley, I hope you're right. I'm really rooting. And by the way, I just want to say right now he's 4-0 predictions. He's got the best record of all the prognosticators for the Chicago Sun-Times. So I'm really hoping you go to 5-0. and uh, That when we come back Tuesday, I'll be gloating because my son-in-law, believe it or not, Salem is a, a cheesehead. He loves the Packers. <laughs> he wears like a Green Bay. I see you, Brian. Stop hiding. He wears his little Green Bay Packers shirt. He loves uh, Aaron Rodgers. So I, Oh my God. I, what is it like to be in a, in a, in a mixed family <laughs> like that? Holy cow. Uh, yeah. Well, I really, uh, it's kind of rough. It's kind of rough going for me because the last few years of uh, the last few years, like the last 20 years, uh, the Packers have been dominating the bears. So really not a lot for me to say. And, uh, so I always change the subject when football comes up and I don't know. It's, talk about something else uh but anyway uh that uh we've run out of time uh we have to take uh end this show salem thank you very much doing an outstanding job uh sitting in for the man who cannot be sat in for and that would be dr d uh and uh so um salem want to thank you very much and also want to thank the man the myth the legend the pride of joy of the north side of chicago yes he's sitting in for dr d too that would be dj nate and salem uh right. as as you know Back home on the north side of Chicago, they call him Baby Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty <laughs> cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry-free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator